2: Good morning. It is nine minutes past seven o'clock on a Sunday morning, 30 degrees outside, a little cloudy, a little icy. Dr. David Hilden of Hennepin Healthcare on our line to start this week's edition of Healthy Matters. Good morning, doctor.
0: Good morning, Susie. Yeah, indeed. It's a wintry morning this morning. I, I was in Pittsburgh this week and I came home to this and wow, you know, falls over, I guess, isn't it?
2: It doesn't take long in Minnesota to switch seasons. I kind of like it, though. You don't mind?
0: No, I really don't. You know, I love our seasons. Fall is my favorite, though. You know, it's just been a a beautiful fall, actually a little bit warm. It has has been a little bit warm. But, you know, I just love the leaves falling and getting to put on a sweatshirt. And so I don't mind, though. Winter, bring it on. Okay. I can handle it.
2: Good. Get your cross-country skis out. You have to embrace it.
0: You do have to embrace it. And today we're going to have a great show. Um, I've got one of my longest uh, colleagues uh, at Hennepin Healthcare, Dr. Charlie Reznikoff, on the show today. And we're going to talk about addictions. Specifically, we're going to talk about alcohol addiction, but it could be other things as well. Um, And if I could, I'm going to jump right into the show this morning because I want to get to some of the topics I have to talk about with Charlie. Um, First of all, Charlie, let me welcome you back to the show. I know you're on the line.
2: Charlie there? Charlie to Charlie. We have our new studio coordinator, Charlie, who is uh, searching for the button right now to bring Charlie, our guest, on. Well, let me tell you about Let me talk to you about <laughs> okay. Let me tell
0: you. I'll give you the update on who on who Dr. Reznikoff is, yes. and then we're going to go right to him uh, um, in just a moment. So Dr. Reznikoff, he's an addiction medicine doctor, and he's an internal medicine doctor like me. He specializes in addictions, however, and he takes care of really medically complex people, not only in the hospital – but also in the clinics. He, he does opioid addictions. He does a pain and addiction consultative practice. And he's also really actively involved in policy and development of guidelines for prescribing both opioids and medical cannabis, otherwise known as medical marijuana. He's been on the governor's uh, um, uh, task force advising the state of Minnesota about medical marijuana. I know Charlie where he's from. He uh, he did he did medical school at the University of Wisconsin over there in Madison, a few a few miles down I ninety four, and uh, and he came to Hennepin County Medical Center and trained a, roughly the same time as me, a few years after me, and uh, almost twenty years ago, and then he did his addiction medicine fellowship here at Minnesota. Um, Charlie's also a big coffee drinker, just like me. So I have been around the country with Dr. Resnikoff, and he has uh, he has uh, shown me some of the finer coffee shops of places like San Diego and Seattle and New Orleans and Washington, D.C. So let me see. Uh, Dr. Resnikoff, are you, on the, are you on the line?
2: He is calling us back. So he called us this morning. That was me ding you there. So he will be calling back shortly, and we'll get him right on the line. But I've had the opportunity as well, Dr. Hilden, to interview Charlie, he is fascinating, and the work that's done at Hennepin Healthcare is just uh, amazing in terms of studying how it affects different people and how it affects women versus men, younger people versus older people, and uh, just a fascinating guy, and I believe that he is now on the news line. Good morning, Charlie.
0: Hello, can you hear me? There you go. We got you, Charlie. I'm just talking about how you've introduced me to good coffee all over the world in some of our travels together. I know you're a coffee drinker. I think I
1: spent more on a single cup of coffee with you
0: than I have anybody else. I remember one place. One place I think it was in Washington DC. We do yeah. medical conferences together sometimes. That thing was like eight bucks. This cup of coffee. Yeah, Didn't
2: have gold in it, you guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Charlie saying, "Dave, d- was handled with care." <laughs>
0: Exactly. Well, Charlie, I've just been talking about your background in addiction medicine and and um in and your training and, and what you do. So, could you just in your own words um just kind of get us going to talk about um the the state of addiction uh right now. And then we're going to get primarily into alcohol today. But tell us just what what you're seeing in your clinic. What what things are people coming to see you for? What are some of the the hot issues in addiction right now?
1: Well, of course, um we hear a lot about the opioid epidemic and indeed opioids including still pharmaceutical opioids prescribed opioids but also street opioids such as fentanyl and heroin we hear a lot about this it's still a major issue um, and then in addition methamphetamines uh, which is like a stimulant in upper this is an increasing problem it, And these drugs are out there, and if you're using any sort of street drug, even if it looks like a legitimate prescription pill, it's often one of these illicit drugs, methamphetamines or fentanyl. So those are major, major issues we're struggling with. But I'll tell you, this is a very timely topic because alcohol affects more people than all of these drugs. So alcohol is an incredibly important topic, especially with the holidays coming. Uh so I, you know I think I think this is a really timely topic and we we see alcohol every day in the hospital as you know this the intensity of drinking has increased with covid people are more isolated um people are more stressed and some and some folks that are vulnerable are turning to increasing their alcohol consumption and we're seeing it in the hospital uh, very few yeah. cases
0: yeah, I'm seeing it all the time in the hospital, people who are hospitalized with alcohol-related problems. And as you have said, it's something new for me. I, didn't, I don't remember much methamphetamine 20-some years ago. Now it's common all the time. I see people with methamphetamine, but way more, by far and away, the biggest sum of uh, problems that i see are with people with alcohol addiction ranging from liver disease to withdrawal problems to neurologic problems and brain problems so tell us a little bit about alcohol addiction how common is it and what what are the risk factors for becoming addicted to alcohol
1: great yeah so
0: first of all it's really important
1: that people listening understand that alcohol addiction is, is a very uh, diverse uh, disease in that it can appear very mild, um, or it can be very very severe, and people will sometimes see the most severe cases and think, "Well, I'm not like that. It can't be me." And, and I would just say, that Hilden, I was thinking about this. Dr. Hilding, you'll get a kick out of this. Remember, Ulysses uh, S. Grant was most likely alcoholic. Winston Churchill was probably alcoholic, and there are many folks who are very functional very successful um and yet they had alcoholism so we have a stigma that if someone has alcoholism they must be a failure or they must be you, you know not able to maintain work or what what have you alcoholism can affect people in a variety of different ways sometimes severely and sometimes a little more mildly but in all cases the alcohol is not healthy for them so so uh, it's, it's really important to start by dispelling that stigma that alcohol can man, alcoholism can manifest in many different ways. So that's the first thing. And you, the, set, the second thing to answer your point, um, about 10% of people have alcoholism, maybe slightly less than that, maybe 8%. It's a little more common in men than women. But when it happens in a woman, it actually affects her more severely. So women are more severely affected, but it, but it happens less commonly in women. Um, and then in terms of risk factors, it's about 50% genetic. So you'll see it occasionally run in families. Um, but then also, you know, childhood trauma, things that happen in your childhood that are traumatic to you, uh, that's a risk factor. Other mental health, that would be a risk factor as well. And then of uh, what I would call a timely exposure to alcohol or maybe more aptly at untimely exposure to alcohol uh, when you're an adolescent and you maybe start drinking. Maybe you're having a lot of stress in your life and you start drinking and you're in an unhealthy peer group um, and you have a genetic risk and it's sort of a perfect storm. And two people could do the identical things. And, and one person would develop alcoholism and one per- person would not. So there's a lot of questions we don't know about why one person gets alcoholism and, one, and another person doesn't.
0: We're talking to Dr. Charlie Reznikoff about addiction, specifically alcohol, and we welcome your calls and texts. And I think, Susie, it might be time to take a break. And when I do come back from the break, I'm going to ask you, Charlie, about you know, how can people get help and how can they identify if the drinking they're doing might be a problem?
2: All right, it is 18 minutes past 7 o'clock on Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning, 651-4619-226. That is a text line. That is also a line you can call if you have a question that you'd like to ask Dr. Hilden or our guest, Dr. Charles Rensikoff, as well. We'll be back right after this on News Talk 830-WCCO. It is Healthy Matters, Hennepin Healthcare's Healthy Matters on WCCO. And we're back. at Healthy Matters at 721 on a Sunday morning, Dr. David Hilden from Hennepin Healthcare, the host, the co-host of this show. Dr. Charles Resnikoff is our guest. He is an addiction doctor, and internist who takes care of medically complex hospital patients. Can I just say, Dr. Hilden, we have a couple of text questions coming in. This one is uh, the $64 million question, Dr. Resnikoff. Um My nephew has struggled for years and years and ended up in the hospital a few times with pancreatic problems. How can someone who knows that it is bad for them continue to drink?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, And and am I coming through more
2: clearly? Yes, sir, you are. Okay,
1: great. Um, Well, in fact, continuing to drink despite it causing harm is part of the definition of alcoholism and and the harm that alcohol may cause maybe financial or interpersonal or occupational, like you may lose your job or it may be your health and all of those harms occur from alcohol and, and, and people with alcoholism continue despite those harms, And it's that's sort of one of the hallmarks of alcoholism. Um, it's, it, it's quite, Challenging it's very hard as a loved one to see someone struggle like that. I think the main message that I would send someone with a loved one Who's seeing who's seeing their family members suffer like this is to continue to Love them um, be be there for them um, Express concern but do it in a way that helps that allows the person to maintain their dignity um, it, and then also Ideally, to make sure that the docs treating this person have done everything they can do using all the most recent techniques to help the person moderate or stop their drinking. Ideally, stop their drinking in that case.
2: All right. Thank you for that, Dr. Hilton. Do you want to jump in?
0: I do. So, Charlie, what are... Um, or dr. Reznikoff you know i 've known you for so long, I call you Charlie, but um yeah. <laughs> Dr. drreznikoff what what constitutes risky drinking so you know if if yeah. if you think about it there 's a lot of twenty year olds in college who are not even of legal drinking age who get bombed on a Friday night. And don't go on to become uh, have an alcohol use disorder. So, and, and many many adults uh, you know are going to watch the Vikings game this afternoon and have four or five beers while they do so. Four or five beers yeah. is too many at one time. But are those people at risk? So, in other words, what's risky drinking, and what when should people be concerned about their alcohol consumption?
1: Yeah, great question. In fact, we mentioned earlier that alcoholism can be different for lots of different people. And in fact, many of us, when we look back at our college years or our young adulthood, was boy, that 15 month period was, was dangerous. I mean, I was kind of lucky nothing worse happened. I mean, we might say that about ourselves. Um, we may have actually met criteria of having mild alcohol use disorder when we were a young adult, And most of us get through that okay. And some of us really have a bad consequence from it. And, um, but to your question, um, th- there are established limits for risky drinking. So for men, unfortunately, uh, men get a different deal than women. <laughs> men, uh, five drinks or more total in a day would, would be considered too many. So anytime having five or more drinks in a day, these are standard drinks, or 14 or more drinks in a week, a seven-day period. So five or more in a day, or 14 or more in a week, either of those are considered risky. For women or for people over the age of 65, it's four or more drinks in a day is risky, or seven or more drinks in a week. Um, and like I said, women uh, alcohol affects women more strongly, including health consequences. So women have a, a sort of a, a lower limit. The other thing I would say about risky drinking is drinking on an empty stomach, drinking quickly, drinking when you're dehydrated, or drinking when you're on other medications that could cause you to be sedated or could interact with the alcohol. All of those would be considered risky drinking. So what I would say is, you know, drink with food, go slow. And uh, make sure that you don't have any medications that, that, that interact badly with alcohol.
2: Dr. Go um, ahead, Susie. Yeah, yeah go gonna ahead. Say, We're going to go to the text line, I think. Yeah, okay. We've got text questions coming in. We also have to grab uh, another quick break because we do that as well at the bottom of the hour. Um Couple people are. One person writes in: My stepson was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Can you talk about that and any treatment for that? And we'll have you answer that question, and then maybe get to a, a weather break. Boy, you know that's
1: a great question, and I'm not an expert in that. Um, I, I do know that the Americans versus Europeans have sort of different standards for drinking in pregnancy. And this has evolved just during my professional life. But, um, you know, I, to my knowledge, there's no treatment for fetal alcohol syndrome. But the person should really see an expert. I, I, I unfortunately don't see that much. We, we do urge women who are pregnant to eliminate alcohol. Um, And however, this is evolving and as with with Europe, occasionally you hear recommendations that one glass of wine is not a problem. But I would still urge a woman who is pregnant to avoid alcohol.
2: All right. Very good. It is 728 on Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning. Cloudy and 30 degrees. We'll take a quick break and come back with your forecast for This day and the days to come here on WCCO on Healthy Matters. 7.33 on a Sunday morning, it is Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden of Hennepin Healthcare on the line. As always, want to make sure that we let people know, Dr. Hilden, real quick, that it is peak season for influenza, usually January and February, but it takes a couple of weeks to affect your immunity, so it's not too late to get that. You can go to HennepinHealthCare.org flu hero for more information on that.
0: That's right, Susie. Do get your flu shot, everybody. And and if you're at all at risk uh, uh, in your profession, get your COVID booster shot as well. Being at risk means if you're over 65, I hope you're getting your booster shot. It's been shown to be quite helpful as your protection from the vaccines does kind of decrease over time. And mm-hmm. so get your booster shot. If you got the Johnson & Johnson shot, no matter who you are, get the booster shot, um, get that now. That's super important. I also want to just real briefly, before we go back to uh, Dr. Resnikoff is to talk about injuries and violence. Mm. We have an event um, coming up this week. Um, it's National Injury Prevention Day. Mm. Um, it's gonna be uh, this Thursday, November 18th. And, if, and people might not know that injuries and violence are the number one killer and cause of hospitalization for people under age 44. Many of these are preventable with proper safety practices, products, legislative policies. So this Thursday, November 18th, we'll join trauma centers around the country to raise awareness about the National um, Injury Prevention Day. And in Minneapolis, several of the landmarks will be lit up green for safety. So if you see green things in the Twin Cities or around Minnesota on Thursday, you'll know why. So. If you want to get on, uh, if you're on Twitter, first of all, if you're on Twitter, follow me at DR David Hilden along with thousands of other people. Um, DR David Hilden, follow me on Twitter. But you can also use the Injury Free Kids uh, hashtag on Thursday for, during Twitter. And you can learn all about uh, National Injury Prevention Day. Uh, my account again is DR David Hilden. That stands for Dr. David Hilden, although it does happen to be my initials as well. DR David Hilden. Ah, so, good. All right, we're gonna go back to Dr. Reznikoff and uh, we're going to talk. We're talking about alcohol addiction. And I, I'm gonna ask Dr. Reznikoff, what treatments are available uh, for people with alcohol addiction?
1: Great, great question. Um, first of all, I also apologize. I understand my audio is not perfect, so I apologize for that. Um, and the other thing I would just say is many of the accidents and violence, the trauma and violence mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, Alcohol is involved in, in a lot of that as well. So and, and even though the holidays are a wonderful time to get family together, we going to be careful about car accidents, careful about other related events, uh, alcohol is often involved. So treatments, we think about all the traditional treatments like Alcoholics Anonymous or peer groups um, that can counsel each other. Those are great uh, everyone should, with alcoholism, should consider those peer groups, and it does not need to be Alcoholics Anonymous. But it's not the only answer. There's also now medications, and there's, there's a few medications that help people either drink less or stay sober. And um, depending on your goal, it would be it would be really recommended that you speak to your primary care doctor about recommendations, about medications that could help you drink less or stay sober. Um, Those medications, I I prescribe those and many people have wonderful results from those medications. And then beyond that, there's other forms of treatment. Uh, There's outpatient counseling, meaning it's almost like going to night school, except instead of school, it's addiction counseling or alcohol counseling, and there's inpatient counseling where you go somewhere for 30 days, like 30-day rehab. That's a big deal. Uh, In a lot of ways, it's a big deal for you in your life. It's also very expensive. So that inpatient 30-day rehab, we always think about that because we see it on TV, but it's actually not right for everyone. Most people won't be going to rehab. Uh, Most people will be taking medications from their doctor, maybe doing some counseling, maybe doing a peer group.
2: I know it's difficult because uh, Dr. Hilden and Dr. Reznikoff, um, I have admitted before on this show that I am in recovery, and I know that uh, having not doing it alone is pretty critical um, yeah. because it can be quite lonely and scary. And sometimes, you know, a friend of mine just went through this, and I said, please don't do it alone, detox alone, because he was drinking a fair amount, because you really can have pretty serious medical reactions to just stopping alcohol if you have been a regular, maybe even excessive regular daily drinker. I mean, talk about what can happen to your body if you just stop on your own with no medicine and no supervision.
1: Yeah, that's. Do you make two excellent points there. And then the first point is withdrawal. And you should As a starting point, you should talk to your primary care doctor. If you are intending to stop alcohol and you think you might be at risk of having alcohol withdrawal, especially if you've ever had alcohol withdrawal in in the past, there are medications that can be given to you as an outpatient that can lower the risk of withdrawal. But for some people, they're, they're at risk of severe withdrawal. And this is the minority of folks who stop alcohol, but it's very important. They may need to go to the emergency department or detox from alcohol in a structured setting. But that's a, that's a good conversation to have with your doctor. And, and like I said, there are good treatments to help you manage some of the withdrawal at home for most people. The second point you mentioned there is don't do it alone. And that's a really important theme, especially around the holidays. We all have our sort of weird... For what thanksgiving will look like what christmas will look like or you know or hanukkah whatever the holiday it is you celebrate um and we sometimes are it's challenging to accommodate someone struggling with alcoholism and fit them into our traditional thanksgiving plans. but boy it's really important not to ostracize them it's really important to create a healthy environment so that they can be part of the family Despite having alcoholism, and to keep those relationships strong. So, that can mean we need to be creative with our holiday plans. Um, We need to find a way to incorporate the whole family and and make the meal healthy for the whole family. Um, and, And so, I would really encourage finding time, being creative, to bring your loved ones into the holiday celebrations in ways that are safe for them. And, and you, you know, and, and keeps the connection to them. Um, doing and being alone with alcoholism is, is, a, is a very dangerous thing.
2: Sure is. I've seen it again and again personally where people die sometimes when yeah. they just can't get help and their organs start shutting down. Uh, Dr. Uh, Resdenhoff, a person writes in, is it deemed a disorder if the person becomes crabby and overly angry after drinking? Uh, Talk about those personality changes. God help us. Some people are happy when they're drunk and some people are mean and it's hard to tell. And it could flip on a dime. It doesn't have to be one. It can change in a minute. Also, they can cry a lot. Yeah, I see this. Um, (laughs) Not
1: not necessarily. Um, However, it's getting close. <laughs> if if someone behaves in a way when they're drinking, which then has lasting interpersonal effects, nobody wants them around. The family members are worried. The family members express concern. I don't like you when you're drinking. Okay, well, that would be a criteria for alcoholism. But on the other hand, we all act a little different. We're a little more uh, jocular. We tell inappropriate jokes. We maybe share information we ought not to share. And some of us get more like, angry or gruff with each other. That, that's normal. That's just how alcohol works on, on the human mind and human, human personality. But if it raises to a level that it's driving family members away, then yes, yeah, that would be a criteria for alcoholism. But well, critically, if you let them know you're worried about them when they drink and then they persist drinking anyway that's what's the problem so it is important for us loved ones to express our concern because if they don't have that feedback they don't have a chance you know to get better and or if they fail to get better despite our feedback that's that's a worrisome sign yeah it sure
2: that's- is I want to yeah. get to um, one last question and then as I said your the line is still a bit garbled I know it doesn't sound it from your end but listening. And i I, the information is so important, Dr. Hilden. I'd like to get one more of these questions in because this is really a big one. At least I've seen this in my own life too. This person texts, my daughter has some mental health issues and uses alcohol to self-medicate. She's in her mid-20s, not sure about her legal medications. Um, I just, that's so such a common problem where someone has an alcoholism disorder and depression or anxiety or bipolar or something that they're battling both and the alcohol helps calm them down or shut the voices down or make them feel better. Are they an alcoholic or are they, you know what I mean? It's very complicated, isn't it, when you have those two things going on.
1: Having a mental health disorder is a very important risk factor for alcoholism and treating the mental health disorder is critical to helping the person become sober so someone saying they're anxious and they drink for their anxiety is not a reason they don't have alcoholism it, it may in fact be a risk factor that they do and and you can't help the person with their alcoholism
0: unless you also help them with their anxiety. So they go they
2: go hand in hand. Yeah. Dr. Hilton?
0: Really, they do. Charlie, thank you so much for being on the show with us this morning. Dr. Reznikoff is an addiction medicine specialist. And I do have to say that around Hennepin Healthcare and around the state of Minnesota, and even nationally. He's testified before the United States Senate before on issues of addiction. Charlie is a, is a, simply a gem for our state, and even though we stole him from Wisconsin. And so I want to thank you for being on the show. If you need help with your addictions, um, as Susie said, please don't do it alone. There is help for you. You can check us out at HennepinHealthCare.org, and you can look up our addiction services, which are robust. We have an incredible addiction program at Hennepin, largely due to the leadership of Dr. Gavin Bart and Dr. Charlie Resnikoff, who is on with us today. So, Charlie, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you.
2: Good stuff, Charlie. Dr. Hinn, we'll take a quick break here, but I want to go out of this break with a little last note on the text line saying, Susie, with outpatient treatment and AA, making sober friends and doing things with sober friends. I have nearly 36 years of sobriety. That's Cherry P. in Coon Rapids yeah jerry huh way to go jerry
0: and thanks for <laughs> thanks for that note congratulations yeah. go you
2: <laughs> all right we'll take a quick break be back with your text and calls at 651 that's the text line or the line to call in 651 750 on a sunday morning 30 degrees outside some snow out there so do be careful you don't want to slip and fall and end up in the emergency room. But if you do, Hennepin Health is the place to go. Dr. David Hilden on our newsline, uh, Dr. Hilden, before we run out of time, I uh, want to talk about a number of text questions coming in about COVID, particularly, and the holidays. I know we've talked about it, but I think as we near Thanksgiving, there are truly some genuine questions about who you should be around, how you should be around them. You know, maybe you haven't seen your family for some time, so maybe they're newer family members. What would be your best advice to people about the holidays, particularly Thanksgiving as it's so close?
0: Right. It's on everybody's mind, isn't it? And and my 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 take on it is that it's about your personal risk tolerance. I think we're getting to the point, and probably we'll be here for the next few years, but what is what is your risk tolerance? And I think that for most of us, the benefits of doing some of our our usual gatherings probably outweigh the risk. Keep in mind that nothing's ever going to be risk-free. And yet, you know driving your car isn't risk-free. We know that there's a chance we could get in a car accident and can be seriously injured, but we willingly accept that risk because the benefit of getting from point A to point B outweighs that risk. It's going to be that way with COVID, I think, probably for the foreseeable future. We're not going to turn off the lights on on COVID just one day and everything's going to be back to the way it used to be. So I think that if you take necessary or reasonable precautions that you should go back to doing some of your things like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whatever gatherings you're doing, I would go ahead and do those. But what are those reasonable precautions? They are get your vaccine. I think that that is the number one thing to make uh, to reduce your risk. And if you haven't if not all your family is vaccinated, I would strongly encourage them to. Um, you can wear masks if you're at particularly high risk, but but you maybe don't even need to do that. If everybody's vaccinated and you're having a nice Thanksgiving dinner, I think that that's going to be okay. Uh, if you're doing lots of international travel or travel at all, when you come back, get a test so that you can reassure your family and friends that you don't have COVID. And if, and if you do have COVID or if you're feeling sick, stay home. You're going to have to miss the gathering this year. But I think there are things you can do to reduce your risk and then go ahead with your life. You wanna, maybe you want to go to a concert. Maybe you want to go to a show at the Guthrie. Or maybe you want to go to your kid's choir concert. I think those things are okay. The more people are vaccinated, the more people are masking, the better. And most venues are actually requiring vaccination. Um, I was just saying, I was in Pittsburgh. They're requiring vaccinations to go to a concert there, too. That's a nationwide phenomenon. So go to places that require vaccinations, wear your masks, and you can go to concerts and plays and things like that as well.
2: I was at Target, and I'm noticing more and more people, even Cub, are wearing their masks again just because. I mean, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's like become sort of like, well, we're in this little uh, heightened time, I'm going to put mine on. I'm vaccinated. I'm, got, I'm getting my booster next week. But just to be safe, I'm just going to wear it in a public setting like that. Now, I, think I don't have to. Sense. But yeah, you know what I mean? You just sort of, in other cultures, I think in other nations, people do wear their masks sometimes for pollution or what have you. But it may just have to become something, if you want to protect yourself, to wear it. Not everybody will. Like Americans, you know, we want to do our own thing.
0: Exactly. It's not that for me. It's not the end of the world to just put the thing on when I'm going into the grocery store uh, or the Target store. If you don't have it with you, I also don't think we need to shame each other about not having it. So just you know, kind of do your best, and and it's all about risk reduction. It's not about making things perfectly safe. And I think we can get through this together if we do. You're right about other about other cultures. I was in Bangkok once about three years ago, and half the people on the train had masks on, and this was pre-COVID. It's just sort of a community good and other cultures are a little bit more comfortable with that than we are.
2: Well, it has been a pleasure and an honor as always. I, I'm i a little sad that Dr. Reznikoff's phone line wasn't better because, I mean, I hope we got good information out there, but boy, oh boy, he is just a genius and a gift, you know, for us here in Minnesota to have such expertise right under our nose.
0: I agree with you, Susie. Thanks to Dr. Reznikoff. And, and if you need to get a hold of him or any of us at Hennepin, hennepinhealthcare.org.